Hey, Mike and Brian here. Want to pop in ahead of today's episode on the offer because we had some recent tragic news regarding one of the actors from The Godfather, Mike, James Kahn, passed away July 6th, age 82. We just kind of wanted to talk about Jimmy Kahn and acknowledge that here, Mike. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know, he will be missed greatly, but he has left behind, you know, a filmography that is just uh, vast and rich. I'm looking at his at a list right now. You know, he did a movie with Keanu. He did a movie with Nick Cage. He was in Alien Nation. I think that was the first time that I saw him in a movie. Wow, really? I think and like was aware. I was like, wow, this guy's a great actor. Like, what else is he in? And, you know, I was like 11 or 12. So then... I watched The Godfather and Misery was huge, you know, so lots of great stuff out there. Lots of great stuff. And, you know, we talk about him a little in the offer, like uh, not James Conn, but the actor who plays James Conn. I should have got his name. But um, regarding just his performance in The Godfather as Sonny, we saw in the offer and I've just known from doing my research on the film, I'm sure you have as well. This was the part that everyone in Hollywood wanted, right? But like, I put it on our Instagram. Like I can't picture any other actor playing Sonny. He is so iconic in this performance and so good. And yeah, he had a great career, a ton of other stuff that that's awesome. I remember him in the original Brian song, the good Brian song. They remade that movie, believe it or not. Yeah. Brian Uh, song. That's right. Yeah. He worked with Coppola a few times, you know, um, the rain people. He was in that. movie. Oh yeah. uh, Good call. I haven't seen that one, but I remember looking it up. And then I know a lot of younger people know him as like the dad and elf, but Mm -hmm. to me, the iconic role is Sonny Colleone. And I think everyone agrees with that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even even the uh, minor masterpiece, The Yards, with Mark Wahlberg, Joaquin Phoenix, and Charlie Theron that he is in, oh, yeah. uh, hailed as sort of like a godfather of the 2000s, sort of very highly influenced by that movie. He's in there as well. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny because I always used to sort of think of him as the original tough guy or something right? Yeah. like sunny you know like the hothead the tough guy the man's man sort of thing and i guess like that sort of like followed him throughout his career and he you know he would also make fun of that uh to a degree at times like he was great in comedies that he oh, wasn't yeah. in, was not in many but you know um the one i mentioned with cage uh, honeymoon in vegas like he's great in that as sort of like this tough gangster guy so just yeah great range Lots of great films. Yeah, I'm thinking of Bottle Rocket, too, Wes Anderson's mm-hmm. first film. He's in that. And you mentioned Honeymoon in Vegas. You know I love that movie. Um, <laughs> but you brought up something that I think is so interesting, right? You talked about kind of his, I don't know if you use the word masculinity, but like, you know, like his mm-hmm. macho-ness and stuff. But it wasn't like a um, like a pretty boy macho-ness. Like as tough and gruff as Clint Eastwood is, there's more of a movie star quality to Clint Eastwood that James Conn just, he felt real. Now, I'm not dissing Clint Eastwood, great actor, obviously, but James Conn is like, he's a little bit more scruffy than an Eastwood, a little bit more yeah. scruffy than like a Robert Redford. And that's what made, again, the Sonny performance and the other stuff he did, of course, but the Sonny performance just so iconic and so awesome. And I can't wait to be talking about The Godfather because he's someone we're really, really going to talk about. Yeah, that's something that is always kind of an enigma for me was like, this guy is seems like such a badass in real life. Like, 
I'm surprised you became an actor. Like an actor, yeah, like, maybe, point. you know, like because you watch him in like Thief and The Gambler and like you know all those like earlier quote unquote earlier roles that he was in. You know, Rollerball. Uh, yeah, and and like he's just so badass and like such a tough guy that you're like, I mean, you know, it's great to know there's that other side to him too that was like you know you picture him training in theater getting in touch with his sensitivity and i guess that's how he found his masculinity and was able to like portray that so well on screen but yeah i definitely think of him you know when that stuff comes to mind like his he's always popped in my head and two things i want to mention quickly before uh you know having you guys listen to the episode we recorded a couple weeks back uh first when you bring that up mike and we see the performance in the offer of the actor who plays Al Pacino and how that's portrayed. And let's just say that's honest and that's how it was. Pacino is so, you know, methodical, but almost shy. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Actually, like I turned my mom onto the show and she's been watching with her husband. I think she's finished by now, but she's really into the offer. And that was one of the comments I asked her, like, you know, what she thought about it. She was like intrigued by Pacino's demure you know, attitude towards acting at this point, right? He's not a tough guy here. But that we see that on mm-hmm. screen as well, because if you're watching The Godfather for the first time, and I don't want to bleed into our later Godfather conversation that we're going to have one day, but if you're watching The Godfather for the first time and you know nothing, right? You don't even really think this is going to be Michael's story. Like, you might think that Sonny is going to ascend yeah. to that pinnacle, right? And when he's gunned down, spoiler alert, but if you're listening to the show, you probably know. When he's gunned down, it's such an impactful moment in the movie. And that transition from really sunny to Michael as the one who has to carry the torch is what makes The Godfather yeah. one of the things. But what yeah. makes The Godfather so good? So just wanted to yeah. shout out like how they <laughs> play against each other, right? Well, I also think, you know, thinking of just quickly, you know, uh, uh, on that point, it's like Psycho with Hitchcock, you know, like mm. I, I never really occurred to me before, but it's almost the same trick where I do assume that Sonny is going to take charge and be the next in line and then he gets gunned down. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's very much like what happens in that hotel with when uh, the lead switches in the film and you know you're like oh now it's norman's movie or or whatever i love the way everyone's been portrayed on the offer so far and it's funny too to think of like you know i also used to think of brando in a lot of similar ways that i used to think of james con but like i think brando is way more eccentric and aloof and and destined to be you know like a an actor and stuff when i learn more about him and stuff but the more i learn about james con it's like wow he's just like he seems like the most regular guy that ever became an actor or something oh for sure for sure and we can't forget you know that his son scott con kind of carried on that tradition they do different oh, work yeah. but he's you know a big actor that hawaii 5 show i think it just ended but it was on for like a while and he was the lead mm-hmm. there entourage all the other stuff he's done and speaking of you know scott like obviously yeah. we acknowledge that this is a death and you know Thoughts are with his family and such. But you and I, Mike, big fans of James Conn. Can't wait to talk about his work further. Anything else you want to say about the man? End of tweet. <laughs> if you know, you know on that one. Rest in peace. Hey, what are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? They want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think? This is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get up close like this. But bing you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. 
Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? Should I do it as this time? Who's in this episode, really? This is the Bob Evans episode. Do yeah, it as I Bob do Evans. It as Evans. Yeah. All right. Okay. Hey. All right. Hey. This is Uncle Francis's wide cellar. Podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola, baby. Cut by cut. Yeah. That's right. And this is the Cage Club Podcast Production. Not a Paramount Production. No way. Maybe hire these guys. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, Bora said, uh, have a seat. Have a glass and welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but but where, where's Michael, that Austrian fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right here, <laughs> piece of shit. Oh, next time I have to intro as Charlie Bluthorn. Oh, yeah, you should, yeah. A lot of great accent work in this show, or bad accent work. I don't know. Either I love it. Great. I you love know, it, too. It, it's very character-defining. Hey, you know, a lot of just people from different regions and all over in this show. Love it. From from Evans to Bluthorn and everything in between. <laughs> of course, of course. Welcome, welcome, as I said. Uh, we are talking episode six of The Offer today. And what's the name of the episode, Mike? Stand Up Guy. Stand Up Guy, because I forgot it again. Um... <laughs> all good, all good. Please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow the show on social media. Tell your friends about not just Uncle Francis's wine cellar, but tell them about the offer because we want more people to yes. listen and watch the show and just to talk about it with. Like, that's really my dream. Yeah, yeah. Watch the offer. Get the word out. Love it. Fun show. Everyone should check it out. And Mike, I already started drinking and I'm still working on that bottle from last time because you're still not helping right. me. This is I Francis Coppola's Diamond Collection Cabernet Sauvignon nice. from yes. 2018. Well, we recorded episodes too so, too close together. I didn't have the chance to run to the shop. But <laughs> I'll get there eventually. I'll get there. You get there, baby. Oh, my God. I love this there, episode. You're do it. <laughs> I want to shout out, though, our good friend and uh, the only guest who's ever been on Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. The only other person who's technically been in the wine cellar. That is Kyle mm-hmm. Reinfried. Yes. In, a group, in a group text, he sent us some cool stuff. Are you going to play his Bob Evans impression? <laughs> I might. You know what? We might drop that in here. Who knows? So he did a Bob Evans impression for us. All right. Here's my next attempt at Bob Evans. Got to get low. It's a bit nasally. And it's all about the cadence and the cocaine. And he also sent us some real life clips. <laughs> First, he sent us a real life clip of Bob Evans talking. And by the way, Matthew Good. Pretty spot on. Yeah, considering that the clip is Evans maybe like 20 years later, I think, like at a Nicholson birthday party or something. And yeah, sounds perfect. The mannerisms, everything. So good. So good. And then he sent us a Joe Colombo clip. (laughs) And we were all like, what? What is Giovanni Ribisi doing? He doesn't sound like him at all. So, if I may, I introed the last show as Joe Colombo, okay? And uh, if I was going to do that again, it would sound, and I was going to do the real Joe Colombo, it would sound a little more like this. Hey, I'm Joe Colombo. How's it going? Welcome to Francis's (laughs) Wine Cellar. What's up? It wouldn't be like 
This is Uncle Francis's wine cellar. Oh, what the hell am I doing with this voice? At this point, though, I gotta be honest with you. I'm not so anti this mob stuff. It feels goofy now, even though people are dying and there's like mafia wars and stuff like oh, that. Oh, dude. Oh, man. Who's the other mobster? Like, I don't think we... Is it this or the last episode where it opened up with the hijacking? Like, the crazy mobster who's out there who just is like the Joker, basically? <laughs> like, he's just, he's just like the Joker. <laughs> like, what is that guy? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Joe Gallo. Crazy Joe Gallo. Joe Gallo. Crazy sorry, Joe yeah. Gallo. Yeah, Joe Gallo. Too many, too many mobsters named Joe. What's up <laughs> with this? But yeah, the guy, his Joe Gallo is basically yeah, just like he does that smiley face thing the whole time. That's it. Yeah, psychopath. But um, yeah, they're playing this in the background, essentially, and it is going on at the same time. But in this episode, you get a sense that like, okay, so the last one ended with. Columbo, Joe Columbo, kind of what do you call ambushing Ruddy yeah. and basically like saying, Oh, Gulf Western and, and Ruddy and me, we're all together. And the reason that the Godfather is not going to have the word mafia and the reason that it's like, you know, toned down is because of our negotiations. Obviously, that's going to piss off a Paramount. It's going to piss off Gulf and Western. It's going to piss off most of the characters in this film. But in this episode, well, I, I guess I'll say I was unsure whether he was doing it for a reason joe colombo like whether he wanted a favor out of ruddy or something like was it calculated or was he just being like a goofy asshole it turns out he's being a goofy asshole how weird is that though (laughs) that like he really thought he was like i'm gonna pay him back like a normal human being and not like ask for money or nothing and he does like this huge grand gesture and it's like you know the definition of like good intentions are yeah the road to hell hell is paved with good intentions (laughs) like there you go right there joe colombo like that's why stick to the mob business stuff like you're better get out of show business but that becomes most of this episode is the repercussions of that yeah so this episode it's all the episode really so yeah um, yeah the main through lines of this episode are ruddy getting fired from this paramount trying to sell yeah, yeah. Which uh, the episode seems to indicate that this press conference is the reason why they can't sell. And we have some on-set things happening as well. But this was an yes, episode yes. that like, I am so excited about. I'm so excited to talk about it. Yes. Lots of fun stuff this episode. If I may, real quick, where this episode is going to be like, we see day one and they're starting to shoot. We didn't talk too much last episode about all the behind the scenes production stuff as much we mm. mentioned you know they hiring cinematographer and et cetera, et cetera. but there was one moment that was great in there trying to cut the budget because francis needs a working kitchen oh yes on yes set. that was that today. was terrific and then they go to charlie and charlie ups, ups the budget to six so like those were sort of important little key moments i think that we glazed over yeah, thank you for bringing that up. That's a really good point. So production-wise, which is, again, this is Uncle Francis' wine cellar. We want to talk to Francis stuff. Production-wise, that's great to see. The fact that they want to make the movie for a certain amount. The studio, obviously, you know, gave them an amount. And Francis is so meticulous, yet he couldn't have predicted these budget concerns or whatever. Everybody's working for scale, which is an amazing, because it's such yeah. a great cast. 
I love it. I love seeing the behind the scenes stuff. There was there was a great moment too where he was just like, you know, you're making a movie with Marlon Brando, like forget Pacino, and they've kind of put it out of their mind, but then they get Pacino. So then it's like, you know, hey, that was a great victory, you know? So like they keep having like this uphill battle, but they keep winning every sort of little battle along the way. It's cool to say that. And Dan Fogler's doing an excellent job as Francis. I actually read an interview with him where he's like, I'm sure Francis hates this one. He's like, one, I'm not Italian. Two, I'm short. Francis is six feet tall. Yes. That, yeah. So, okay. Much like how Dan Fogel's twice his age and he's supposed to be portraying, we never talked about that. That, like, Dan Fogler, like, if he was in shape, he'd be a great Wolverine. You know, like, he's a little short guy. Like, nothing against comic, that. Comic like, Wolverine. Comic book accurate. Yeah. But, like, that's right. I keep forgetting how kind of like, and I don't mean this, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but like, I always f- felt Francis walked a little bit like Frankenstein's monster. Like he had a very imposing stature. You know, he was very, he took up space. Yes. He's a guy when he walks in the room, not that you and I have been in the room with him, but like we've seen this, right? When he walks <laughs> yeah. in the room, he is there. He's not like an impish little sprite in the corner. He is yeah, like. Yeah. Putting, putting his like a hat down over his head and his coat collar up. It's like, no. Like, you can't help but, like, see this guy. But Dan Fogler's doing such a good job. And, honestly, it's more of a caricature of Francis that I think is wonderful. And I don't think yeah. anyone watches this and thinks, like, oh, Francis is an idiot or no, you know, no. this or that. Like, I think people get more and more respect for him. I certainly am. And I love Francis for Coppola, obviously. But you're seeing how meticulous he is, how hard he fights for his vision, and yeah, how yeah. uncompromising he is, probably for worse in later films. Or different oh, definitely, definitely, because he gets like run out of Hollywood and bankrupt <laughs> trying to make movies. So definitely, <laughs> but for here, I mean, to the salute of the film. I mean, again, we'll say it as, or at least I'll say it. I don't want to speak for you, Mike, but three of his films are top ten, maybe top twenty-five of all time. Right? Like yeah. to have three in there. Not a lot of directors have three movies that people consider that high on the list. Right? So there's a reason for that. Yeah. Hats off to him. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting what everybody is doing on this show have like different levels of, you know, like some people are doing like caricatures. Some people are completely making up stuff. And then some people are doing like perfect imitations, you know, like Matthew Good's doing a perfect imitation. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi is completely making shit up, right? Like Dan Fogler, somewhere in the middle. Like I'm cool with, the way everybody is portraying their particular character. Okay. Because that's kind of the spirit of the show is like, everyone have fun in what you're doing. I mean, even miles Teller, you know, again, comes from the Rand corporation. They remind us like last episode about that with the FBI. They're like, what's a guy, a top secret Rand corporation doing with the mafia. (laughs) And it's like, he's even portraying the most boring man on the planet. Really fun. You know what I'm saying? Like Ruddy's not all that interesting. He just likes to get shit done. And like, he has that kind of drive. Okay. But like, I don't know what is, what kind of music he likes. I don't know anything kind of personal about him. Right. (laughs) He's not that kind of character and that's fine. He's just a really good version of a boring dude, but a boring dude who won't give up. Like, that's fine. Like his, his whole life is getting this movie made. Maybe that's why, you know, this is his life. And I like 
I like the way everyone's portraying their part of the show. And Mike, uh, I can't believe it took us so long to acknowledge this, but how about Miles Teller? As someone who people shit on a lot, he's not the most popular dude outside of Hollywood, mm-hmm. like on the mm-hmm. internet or whatever. I think I'm going to get shit for saying this, but he's having a moment with Top Gun. And oh yeah, you covered it. You saw it, uh, of course, because you're a cruise man as well. That's right. Check out uh, Tom Tom Club and uh, Cruise Club and Tom Hanks podcast. And yeah, Joey and I saw Maverick and he was great in it. Like, you know, we said the same thing you just said, too. It's like, look, guys are problematic. You know, people do things. But like, it's kind of one of those moments where you like can't deny the abilities, you know, just whatever. Like, that's what acting is. Okay, nobody's perfect. (laughs) It's not like he's Mel Gibson from what I hear. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so just wanted to give uh, props to Miles Teller uh, for Top Gun, uh, Maverick, and this show being the lead of this show that it's, we're enjoying so, so much. It's so weird that he's the lead of this show because like, I almost forget that he is in the show in a weird way. <laughs> like he, I don't know how to explain that, but like we talked a little bit about how like last episode especially he is the filter for everything going on like it's all through his memory sort of like right like we're seeing this through his eyes the experience for the most part and i think they do a really good job like i just said talking about leaving him kind of blank in a sense of letting us be in that position you know what i'm saying like it it's easier for me to kind of navigate this world through that character you know i think he's doing a good job of being that type of character there must be a french film term name for this character right like the character who we're supposed to identify with the most right yeah like the audience surrogate but like le audience el surrogate or something i would say it's him and betty and i i teased this last time but let's like talk about like Betty's power moves in this fucking episode right Hell oh my yeah. god first of all <laughs> There are these, and he's played by um, Bobby Cannavale's son. I forget his yeah. name, but something Cannavale. Jake. Like Jake Cannavale. Same guy from, um, he was in The Mandalorian one episode. Yes, right? yes. You know who was in The Mandalorian too? Technically, but yeah. F- friend of your show. Friend friend of us. Friend of, friend friend of, of, the, our, friend of the network. Friend of the network, will. Galen Howard. He was in that. Yeah. So check out Mad Galen problem. Howard if you're out there. But uh, yeah, he plays this just kind of mafia goon, for lack of a better word, who is assigned to the set um, where eventually yeah. he's going to rise in the ranks because uh, Columbo is going to get him to kill Joe Gallo. Like that's like the goal, but he's great as this character, like eating the sandwiches mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Answers for everything. For everything. So um, when Ruddy gets fired, Betty is not just going to stand there. She wants to do something about it. And essentially like, well, Ruddy's, you know, that's it. He's like hanging his head, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go have a drink. <laughs> Betty goes to the Mafia headquarters, lair? I don't know what it's called. Their bar. They're like gentlemen's club. And she tries to get in, and then that guy notices her, and then eventually she talks with Columbo and, as an equal, essentially, and is basically like, this is what's happening. This is your fault. Do something about it. And Columbo's so like, humble with it. Yeah. I'll take care of it. You know? <laughs> He's like, I never thought I'd see a broad in this place. (laughs) Yeah, man. She has that one speech where I was like, ooh, this is like a good speech. And then she slaps Al in the face, you know, when he gives up. When he's like, that's it. I've been fired. I quit. I throw in the towel. 
That's my that's my out ready. I'm done. I'm going. I'm going to have a drink. And then <laughs> she's like, Jesus Christ, Al, like you just won all of the it's like it's not like the fight is over. Like the idea is like you gotta keep fighting and he's like, Ah, whatever. And then <laughs> Yeah, she does that shit. Uh he finds out at the very end of the episode that that she did that. And yeah, it's cool to see how he shuts down the production too for a day, right? And like no one will move shit. Like, yeah, they're are union guys, and who, who controls yeah. the union in New York in the seventies? The mafia. So, like, I don't know if that was real, but it's plausible, right? And they're like, "Yep, yeah, the union's yep. not moving this." And Francis is panicking. Everyone's panicking. So that that's one through line here. And I think if you know, if we're gonna give like an uh, all star award here, it's not Betty in this episode because we have another person to give it to. But Betty's up there. This is. Top oh, Betty yeah. performance. I'm loving Juno Temple's performances. That I said that a million times, and I'm loving yep. Betty in this show. Yeah, great character, great actress, killer role. Yeah, just badass. Yeah, very cool. Badass. <laughs> the other through line. We'll talk Francis a little bit later because I do want to tease some things there. But the other through line is what is happening to Paramount, Gulf Western, and specifically Robert Evans's role in this. We're in damage control. Damage control, baby. The whole fucking episode. <laughs> so we mentioned that Ally McGraw wants to do The Getaway with Steve McQueen. Yeah. So she's agreed to do it. And they're about to go to Texas when he really starts getting the inkling that they're selling. And that the you know Ruddy's getting fired. All this with The Godfather. He's like, I'm going to New York. Go to Texas. Do whatever yeah. you gotta do. That seems nuts. She's like, we're having dinner with Steve McQueen. And he's like... I'm the head of the fucking studio. Like, <laughs> you know? Like. And again, we know that she's going to end up with Steve McQueen, so something dirty is going to happen here. Um. I mean, what else could you do with that? But like, you, you know, he's the head of the studio, and they're about to sell the studio. It's t- That's a tough call. Knowing what we know about, like, how she ends up with McQueen, it just, it raises the stakes so much. Like, I yeah. haven't yeah. really recommended this show to a lot of people. But I think I'm going to recommend it to my mother, believe it or not, because she's really into old movies and the old studios and like especially oh, like, okay. you know, she loves American movie classics and Turner movie classic. When I say American yeah. movie classic, original AMC, not like Walking Dead AMC. You know? No, or like Turner classic movies. Yeah, Turner classic like movies. That. That's yeah, what yeah. I meant. Yeah. Just like that kind of stuff. And she loves like the old studio stuff. Yeah, yeah. And this, Mike, and... I said it a little bit last time. I've said it before, but I'm going to give you so much credit for saying this. I think episode one, that this is so much of a Paramount show. And we see yeah. it here. This is the Paramount episode. This is on Paramount Plus. They are leaning into it or whatever, but CBS shows <laughs> Paramount as their name. It was CBS All Access and a bunch of other stuff. And when they threw it all in the same streaming service, they said, this is the logo we want. This is the yep. iconography we want. Well, this is the history yeah. we want. We want the lineage of this studio. And in this show, you kind of see why, because there's such a heritage, such a history. So Evans has been given the keys to this empire, and he's not going down without a fight. And this is what I love nope. this episode for. Yeah, no, yeah, it's his ship, and he's going to get it to port, hell or high water. But, yeah, I'll just, you know, say what I said before. Like, I think they beat everybody to the chase with that idea, you know. Um, If only HBO Max was Warner Brothers streaming. That is the vibe that I'm talking about, you know. Like, it was so clever of them to bank on... 
their legacy like that, you know, because that's so much more widespread, I feel. And you're talking movies as well, you know, as te- it's not just television. Like, I don't know, it just feels more inclusive and like a really nice package by just saying Paramount and everything. And um, yeah, dude, they're using this show. I feel they're using this show to test the waters to see if they can do more stuff like this with other movies, with other uh, producers or something like they're dropping crazy Paramount Easter eggs every episode. It's hard not to be like, they're going to spin this off into a Bob Evans show. This episode almost feels like a back pilot to a Bob Evans show. I wish I wish. (laughs) I mean, more than any other episode, it feels like, you know, he really takes command of this episode as a character you get to see what he's really made of. You know, you see him work a room before, but like that's at lunch or at a party and stuff. But here you get to see him work the fucking boardroom. And like, that's why he's president. And like, that's why he's making the movie he makes uh, at the time that he's there. 100%. And Ruddy was actually fired in real life during this period from the movie. It was a brief period, but he actually was fired. Whether it was because of the mafia connection or because of some other things that were going on, which we'll talk about. Was he banging the casting director? (laughs) Maybe. I mean, he was last episode. (laughs) I think from my research, it seems to be more like it was because of that other producer, Ballard, who was on. Oh, um, was that the bald guy? Yeah. It's on, yeah, Jack. I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> so, so, Mike, we should just crescendo the episode with more Evan stuff, but I'll, I'll let me little take a little segue into a Ballard thing. This is a real-life thing that happened on the set of The Godfather, and I think we're going to get in the next episode. Okay. They were getting really pissed off at Francis, especially when Ruddy was not the producer and in this era, because Francis kept wanting more money. He was so particular. And we already know from uh, Colin Hanks' Lapidus what the studio wants. A cheaper movie. (laughs) A cheaper movie, right? And that's not what Francis is doing. Also, Francis doesn't have the track record at this point. We're not talking about Francis Ford Coppola like we're talking about now. Right. We're talking about some random director at this point. Uh, He wrote Patton, but yeah. He wrote it, but he didn't. I know, but like, yeah. People have referred to it as a coup on set. And (laughs) I guess we'll see in the next episode. I'm not sure if Francis was actually fired or was about to be fired. But Ballard wanted to fire Francis and put the uh, editor, sorry, what was his name? Aram Arcanian, I think. He wanted uh, to make yeah, Aram. him the director. Basically, so he was just like a controllable person on set. Yeah, th- they drop a hint of that in this episode where he's like, I could have done all this in a close up. Why did they need to lay like five feet of track or whatever? <laughs> to be fair, Francis has confirmed that this actually happened, but he doesn't believe that Aram Arcanian was involved. He just believes that that was just okay. like someone he went, but he 100% says it was Ballard who had orchestrated this. So I bring it up now mm-hmm. because from stuff I read, that seems like it was more the reason why uh, Ruddy was fired temporarily, like to try to get control of the picture and then make those kind of moves and make it for cheaper or whatever. Ballard seemed to have never seen the vision of the Godfather and saw it just, this is just another gangster pick, you know? Yeah, yeah, you could tell that, yeah. He's not a movie man. He's he's from Gulf and Western. So, like, he's just an extension of Colin Hanks, mostly. 100%. So, we'll probably get more of that in the next episode, I'm guessing. But let's go back to freaking Robert Evans and the most amazing oh flight boy. speech moment. So, there's that big board meeting about selling 
Gulf and Western. They're selling Gulf and Western is selling Paramount. Sorry. Selling Paramount. Charlie Blue turns there, and he basically tells he's been telling people, "I'll sell it if the price is right." Yes. And the, unfortunately, according to the show, because of Ruddy's affiliation with the mob, we'll say. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the buyers are out. So we get a meeting with the last buyer, which is a kind of interesting and weird meeting. Um, did you notice who played the buyer? I couldn't put my finger on it. Who was that? That is, uh, what's his name? Oh, Michael Gandolfini. Michael Gandolfini, yeah. That's uh, why. James Gandolfini's son. So this had huge entourage the movie vibes with Haley Joel Osment as the investor <laughs> of his next movie. Did you ever see that? Yes, yes, I mean, no one should have to watch that movie, but if you're a completionist like I was, I needed to see every minute of entourage. And HJO is just like the most egregious douchebag Texan stereotype, just like this kid is in, in this episode. <laughs> it's a fun little scene, but Essentially, it's like a go fuck yourself. I'm going to, you know, yeah. pay half the price thing. I love, I love, though, when um, he takes Lapidus in the elevator, essentially assaults him. And he's like, oh, yeah, do yeah. that again. Dude, that's Charlie's move. He's like, he even tells, does he tell Ruddy at the end of the episode when he hires him back? He's like, I will fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a lie. I'm like, Jesus Christ. He's a scary, <laughs> scary dude. I bring it up because, again, I wanted to bring up uh, Michael Gandolfini, but also I bring it up because it leads us to... Oh, my God. ...to this speech moment. So I never thought, honestly, that Blue Turner was going to sell the company for that price, even though Colin Hanks Lapidus is pushing for it. But Evans is on this plane to break up this meeting, essentially, doing coke and talking about... Oh, God. Oh, God. Mike, d- describe this moment. I, I, I don't know. Like, this is the scene I've been waiting because we all know that he was doing coke the whole time, but now they're finally showing it, okay? And, like, the scene starts of a shot with him, like, cutting it up and, like, doing a line, and then you find out they're on a fucking jet, like a private jet. It's wild because he's acting exactly like he's been acting the entire show. So you're just like, oh, he's been on blow the whole show. Like that his character just is fueled by cocaine and like that his mind can work so fucking fast. And what does he say at the end of this? He's like, he's like, I'll produce the fucking picture myself if I have to. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just like any, I'll get this shit done myself. I'm going to be head of studio, but I'll be a producer. And I'll say this, Mike, like America, the world goes into eras of like, more liberal drug use than kind of war on drugs and oh yeah 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 this was the this was designer drug age but we are also i think now in a more liberal drug use era than we have ever been that we've been in before yeah i mean it's legal in in my state now yeah i mean okay yeah weed and stuff but weed is uh, yeah yeah i'm and i'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing i don't i that to be honest we have never done cocaine i don't i don't intend on doing cocaine but there was a time where you couldn't do a scene like this, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had to almost show like Coke was bad, which it is. I'm not saying it's not. It is, yeah. But this is like literally this could be an advertisement for cocaine because you know, <laughs> he, he does it and he, and he makes an amazing speech and at least in his eyes saves the studio, you know? So I, I only bring yeah. like this 
larger discourse up just to say that like no yeah we're in an era now where this is more okay to make a scene like this and i think people maybe are a little more educated hopefully um on stuff and again i'm not gonna weigh one side or the other on, on that kind of stuff but this is not like a oh my god he's a cokehead and he's making all these wrong choices thing he's like no, no. he's fucking doing coke and he's a hero in the scene yeah he's, he's a functioning cokehead i guess you would call it right <laughs> or even more so like a cokehead superhero at some point but like i was convinced they weren't even going to show him doing anything you know what no, i'm saying me i was too. convinced that's why that's that's why i'm talking so hard about this scene you know like tv's come a long way i guess or at least you know i mean it's a streaming service but like this is the studio making this about the studio. I mean, and, and Evans didn't make it any secret either. You know, it's all over his bio and, you know, like it was fashionable at the time, especially for executives, I would assume. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm just glad to see it portrayed, I guess, a little more responsibly, because honestly, the only time you really would see this kind of stuff, at least on network, you know, for the most part is... Uh, yeah, like uh, like addictions and things like that. You know, you'd only see like the negative side. Not that there's no, not that, <laughs> no. you know what I'm saying. Like they're not relatively speaking coke here either. But yes, yeah, no, 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 no. I I would never, I would never. But like, yeah, I just, yeah. But it, it's just, it was surprising that Paramount was going to expose themselves this far. I guess I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't a big secret. So I'm glad that they just like dropped a nod to that. And it also, I'm glad that they don't make him like coke fueled the entire time. I'm glad that they waited for this to be not the reveal. Well, because, no, he I is. But I'm back, saying I would go back and watch a few episodes and I'm just see. We how don't see him doing like, lines the entire time because I believe that would kind yeah. of discredit him. They pick and chose the right moments for it. Yeah. Again, if there's going to be a right moment, which please do not like cut this episode up and and uh, you know put, air it in your dare programs at school, but. If there was going to be a right moment for it, this is it. And he shows up. And the speech he makes about Paramount being the top of the rock, the Statue of Liberty. Bring me your tired, your poor. We're going to make it. We have the best book, the, you know, the best-selling book ever. We're going to make that movie. Oh, Hello, everyone. I'm Robert Evans, Senior Vice President of Paramount Pictures. Now, look, last few years have been rough for Hollywood. I'm sure the only question on your minds is, should you sell short or go long? And I understand that. I do. You're a Fortune 500 company. You're worried about your reputation. But take a look around this table. You politicians, innovators, captains of industry, none of you is sitting here because you played it safe. And you all know in some ways that the most important tool to help you in your pursuits is loyalty. I mean, you don't want your investors looking for a good time on a park bench. No, you want to develop a deep relationship. You want to create trust and love. And you can't do that with empty promises. No, you have to you have to feed their souls. Now, how do you do that? Well, that's hard. That is hard. Like now, the soul of America is broken. War, assassination, civil rights protests, we're hurting. We're hurting. And people don't trust politics or big business. So what can America look up to? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Excuse me, Charlie. Paramount. Take a look at the logo. We're the mountaintop. We're the goddamn Statue of Liberty because you can give us your tired, your poor, 
huddled masses yearning to breathe free, and we'll give them two hours of respite from the harsh realities of this world, complete with, with popcorn and Coca-Cola. And we'll do what other people can. We'll, we'll entertain them. We'll get them escape. We'll feed their souls until they're fit to burst. And that's something that you can't quantify by checking the stock of the Daily Ticker. So, sell short or go long. Well, a year ago, the answer might have been obvious. But then came Love Story, which just grossed over a hundred billion dollars and fed the souls of America. And people might say, you know, Evans, you only get lucky once. At Paramount, we make our own luck. Love Story was the second biggest selling book of the decade, beaten by only one other. And let me tell you, gentlemen, you do not throw in the towel. You do not throw in the towel when your fighter is about to land the second part of a one-two combination. And that right cross, which is going to bring us the championship, is going to bring Paramount right back to its glory. Well, that's the biggest selling book of all time. It's the Godfather, and it's ours. It's ours. We can feed their souls, because we know what people want more than sugar or auto parts or whatever else Gulf Washington does. They want, they want stories, Charlie. They want escape. They want love. And they want guns, romance, and violence. Love story and the Godfather. Is that it, Evans? That's it, Charlie. Oh, give us your tired, your poor, your huddle masses for two hours. For two hours. Two hours. We'll make it forget. We'll entertain you. With popcorn and a Coke. <laughs> How much time have you and I, Mike, spent watching movies, thinking about movies, talking yeah. movies, you know? Like, that guy made it worth it. In that speech, it made it worth it. Like, it is a – it's one of those moments. Like, it, it plays like that, too. It's like, you know, if he can't convince them, they're going to sell the studio. And I feel it in that moment. And it's not like he's out of control, either. Like, he's making an honest, passionate speech. He was an actor first, Evans, you know, like he understands the entire system, not just what it's like to be at the top, but also to like be at the bottom uh, and every little step, you know, along the way as well. So the performance by Matthew Good is just like this is an award winning moment for that performance. This is where you're just like you can't ignore how good he is in this show. And I'm just a little well, I guess I'm not scared. It's just I'm worried that it might eclipse everything else that's going to go on. Because <laughs> I can't now, every time Evans is going to show up, like, it's the best part. You know, but I want Francis to be the best part. What What's uh, what's his book's name, Evan, Evans? What's his book's name? The Kid Stays in the Picture. And, like, this is exactly why. Like, this is how he right. – This is what the book is called, right. I'm a Survivor. And this is how he's a survivor. He must have made speeches like this hundreds of times, you know, probably, to, like, save a movie or save a relationship or get a part or something. You know, he seems like the kind of guy, you know, who could argue to get served breakfast after hours or so, you know like talk yeah. the waitress into anything it's, it's punctuated to me by like first of all blue torn lenhaman yeah he wanted he wanted to be paramount we know this right like like we could feel it in him that he wanted to be convinced and that's why he let him go in and say that speech but also we learn later that it wasn't really the speech to convince blue torn it was the price but yeah 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 the two things coupled to me make it perfect because if it really was that speech, that kind of would have been a little too corny for the show. It would have been like, right. oh, that speech convinced everybody, you know? Bluethorn's too smart for that. He used that for the other guys. I think the speech convinced some of the other guys. But for him, mm -hmm. 
No, he was he was waiting no. for that moment, and he did his thing, and I love it. That's even a better scene now, knowing that he pretty much had his mind made up before Evans even walked in the door. You know, like he knew 100%. he was going to sell. <laughs> Not that Evans said all that for nothing, but like even at the end of that speech, didn't he just kind of dismiss him? He's like, "Get out." Yeah, Is that all you have to say. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, but so good, so good, terrific. Terrific shit. So we get a lot of uh, on-set stuff here that's really cool. We get some scenes from The Godfather and, and like, seeing it yeah. shot. Two Love big it. locations. We get the Michael and Kay Christmas shopping, and then we get a bunch of the uh, the business outside of the hospital mm-hmm. after after the Don's been shot. Good stuff. When Michael And he's like, and this is where Michael's going to get punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, that iconic moment. I love it. I love it. So we get some good Coppola stuff here too. And and as we already mentioned, we're going to get a coup coming up. I think the next episode is going to be Coppola heavy um, because I get, I don't know if he was officially fired. I can't remember, but I know Coppola was close to being fired. Well, he, it's the first time in this series where he's sort of starting to try and throw some weight around maybe, in the last episode, when they went to ask Bluthorn for money, Bluthorn's like, ah, he speaks, you know, like he finally said something like at the end of that meeting. And now he's calling Charlie Bluthorn on his own, like repeatedly to try and get him on the line. You know, like I like that, you know, because he wants Ruddy back. He needs him back to produce so they'll move the trucks and shit. It's just interesting that he ended up being the character to make that call. You know, I would have thought maybe Betty would have, right? So, like, it's fun to see Francis as a character start to take more control of the situation of, you know, it's his film. And I think he's going to start saying that a lot more. Well, we know, look, we know that Francis is going to become one of the greatest directors of all time. And again, make three of the greatest films of all time. Right. And that doesn't happen accidentally. That doesn't happen because producers stumble on things, which is a lot of the show, right? That happens because there's a man with a vision who takes charge. And I love how the show is now showing us that, Right, it's not just like guess what Francis happened to be the director, but it was really Al Ruddy behind the scenes. We're kind of seeing <laughs> Francis take real, real control of this movie, and Ruddy not take a back seat because he's still doing a lot of background shit that Francis doesn't probably even know about. But in terms of the movie, the product we see on the screen, the show is now making it clear that the most important person in the entire thing is Francis for Coppola, which is again, yes, this is uncle Francis's wine cellar. We love that. That's what I love to see. Very cool moment in the show was when he was directing Pacino, Oh, you know, yeah. when uh, oh, they're walking yeah. down the street and I was like, Oh, I'm kind of nervous. And he's like, Oh, you know, you wouldn't, you're in love with this woman, you know, look at the eyes, Like, you know, just say the words and feel what you, that whole thing. And, you know, and he's like, that's all I need. And like, that was really cool to just, see that portrait also you know felt like i was just watching some behind the scenes shot or something in that moment or something and that was cool they got a good diane keaton yeah so i agree i like again like dan folger killing it might not be the right age might not be the right height but uh <laughs> none of that is mattering which to me signal of a good job so i mentioned the last episode uh michael Balderstrand from the website What to Watch has been doing like what's facts and what's fiction. Um, so I have been reading along yes. with that. So he, he had a good part of like what was Ruddy fired from The Godfather? Um, and again, yes, he was. 
But the fiction part, as I mentioned, was kind of like the mafia part. We don't know. You know we don't okay, know, right? Okay. But this actually indicates that there was a Colombo press conference. Hmm. I want footage. You gotta watch that. But he was like not remorseful about it. Like apparently he was just like, well, fuck you guys too. I think Coppola did get him back. I'm bringing up this article because apparently Bluthorn did say to him that if you fuck this up, I'll kill you kind of thing. Like that was like a real threat. That's, apparently. that's fucked up. But, <laughs> you know, the man is one of the most powerful men on the planet at the time, possibly like most wealthiest, I guess. I don't know. In that, in that yeah, he's circle. a baron he's a baron of a lot he's of things a yeah. baron like yeah i i believe him <laughs> like and i believe the character when he says it sadly the other fiction or fact restriction thing mentioned is that there's no evidence that the speech was ever made by robert evans it wasn't in his biography either you know uh, but i don't uh, care. i don't care because it, i think it's probably an amalgamation okay. of him I don't know if he went into a boardroom. I'm sure he had this speech, though, with somebody. You know, I'm sure he, like... And even if he didn't, it's so in character. I believe he made this speech. You know, I believe the fiction over the fact in this scenario. Like, it just feels like something he would be able to accomplish. Like, you know, this is a scene out of every other fucking show or movie that's ever been written. Is like, the guy bursts into the room to save his job, to save his career, to save his family, to save something, and he makes this big, impassioned fucking speech. And, you know, it's 50-50. Half the time it works, half the time it doesn't. And, like, most of the time as an audience member, like, it's flat, you know, because it's all – because I've seen it so much. But this, I was like, oh, they're going to do that scene. And I was really pumped because of the context and the scenario. And, like, it's Bob Evans doing it, and I love this character, and it's like I care about – the show now and i uh, you know and this it's a really great speech from a really fun guy and it was just nailing it and everything so it, it embiggens the spirit of the show regardless and yeah i just dropped embiggens <laughs> it's a, a real word but i've been using it lately the end of the episode is interesting because it's like we go back to mob war and Frank Sinatra's back. I totally forgot. <laughs> oh my god, old blue eyes, that old bastard. What the fuck I was forgot he doing? that Sinatra was a character in this. <laughs> How could you forget he was a character because in we this? Seen I forgot him in a couple episodes. I mean, we've seen like less of Mario Puzo in the last two episodes than Frank Sinatra. I feel like, <laughs> but yeah, it was cool to see like the Madison Square Garden shot. That was fun. Remember Frank singing at the garden? And oh yeah, there's a little bit of a a meeting and breaking bread between Sinatra, Columbo, and Ruddy, and yeah. it seems like all is well because Columbo was right that if they just took Mafia out of the script, and it almost is like if they look like they had some gains, you got to give them any negotiation. You got to give both sides a win, and that was the win they have. And I'm assuming this is going to close the Sinatra chapter. I hope so, or maybe until the movie's released, and he, or maybe now he wants to play the role, and like we have to talk him out of that. Like, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was a surprise to see him back. It was very jarring the way they were intercutting that with the Harlem hit. Oh my God, the death of Crazy what? Joe Gallo! Like, uh, just no, uh, he survives. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. The hit, but his on crew. Crazy Joe Gallo. Yeah, yeah, he survives a hit on him. On himself, but we're all out mafia war now. I'm like, what? We're back here, but I don't hate it because it's like now 
it feels like they've built to this. In the first episode, it was like, yes. what the fuck are we doing here? <sighs> now it's like, holy yeah. shit. I'm kind of into it. I'm 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 liking it more, but I just wish it wasn't like the penguin versus the Joker. Like, that's just, <laughs> just how it feels. They really are those two Batman villains. Rabisi is so penguiny, and and Crazy Joe Gallo is like you're, he's like he's got the eyes, like he has no like the, logic for his decisions. He's like, let me just kill people. He did the thing where he blows some guy's head off so he can't have the open casket thing, but he did that real psychopath thing where like he walks into the gentleman's club and like throws the thousand dollar envelope back at at uh, Joe Gallo, you know, and like laughs in his face. I'm like, what the fuck? This is like Jack Nicholson before he falls into the vat. Like <laughs> this, is, this is Jack Napier right here. I think uh, everyone should take a shot out there in podcast listening land when I say this. But I am all in. I am still all in. I'm excited yes. to talk more about the offer. This is great. And I can't wait till we cover The Godfather here on Oof. Uncle Francis Wine Cellar. Once we get into the Coppola films, it's going to be so fun. I know we started in kind of a weird direction, but I'm glad we did. This is such a fun show. And uh, thank you for listening out there if you are listening. And if you're not listening, you wouldn't hear my voice right now, so it wouldn't matter. So uh, you, you can follow me on Twitter at... Oh, my Rodriguez. O-H-M-Y. Rodriguez, that's my last name, of course. Of course, you can listen to my other show, High School Slumber Party, here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, where I cover some high school films. Um, Also, we have an Instagram page for the show, and that is Uncle Francis Wine Cellar. And Mike, you have a ton of other shows. You have your own Twitter. What are those shows? What is that Twitter? Uh, so Twitter is at the underscore Mikester, all lowercase. And yeah, all the other shows I'm on are at cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. I do Third Times a Charm, where Brian is an unofficial co-host there, third of every month. Uh, Monsters That Made Us with Dan Cologne, the last Friday of every month. We go through the history of the Universal Monster movies. Um, the titular Cage Club with Joey Lewandowski. And we just recorded an episode of Cruise Club, part of our Tom Tom Club show that we do uh, Tom Cruise movies where we watch Top Gun Maverick. So go check all that stuff out if you would please. And uh, Mike, I think we've settled on, at least for now, the ending of Oh, yeah. The yeah, yeah. Take us away. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. You got it. I'm not a big cannoli fan. I'm lactose intolerant. They're very, uh, <laughs> very dairy. Well, maybe we'll leave the gun and the cannolis. <laughs> Do they have vegan cannolis? I wonder. Ooh, I will have to find out and eat them live on the show. What do you think uh, Columbo would think about <laughs> vegan cannolis? I think they're a bunch of bullshit. What the hell's vegan anyway? What year are you from, you freaking weirdo? <laughs> this is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend. The end of our elaborate plans. The end of Stands the end, no safety or 